Welcome to episode four of In The Soup. This week, I'm speaking with Tanti Prashanchai, co-founder of Tiffin Labs, a self-described full-stack virtual kitchen operator. We get into what that entails exactly, as well as Nant's journey into hospitality starting off as a management consultant. We talk about the future of dark or cloud kitchens and changing customer relationships, as well as how COVID-19 has affected Tiffin Labs and others within the delivery-only space. We also hear about what the future entails for Tiffin Labs, including big expansion plans in the US and Europe. I really enjoyed finding out more about this growing industry and hope you do too. Today I'm speaking to Nant Tanti Prasongchai from Tiffin Labs. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Christian. Super excited. I, I, Lant, it's really, really, thank you so much for making the time. I know you're crazy busy at the moment. Things are really taking, uh, taking off at Tiffin Lab. So I, I, I'd just love you to start by giving us a bit of an intro. Uh, tell us about you. Sure, I'd love to. Um, so my full name is Pumanat Santi Prasongcha. You can just call me Nant. It's probably easier. Originally from Thailand, I'm the co-founder of Tiffin Labs. I'm one of four people. So Tiffin Labs is a food tech company. I'll explain a bit more about what we do. Uh, a bit later on, but uh, my background, I started uh, my career in management consulting uh, at the Boston Consulting Group after graduating from uh, the London School of Economics. Uh, I had a pretty standard management consulting career covering strategy, um, operations, and and technology across Southeast Asia. Um, I worked on everything from banking insurance to sort of project managing this construction of this uh, paper factory in the middle of the Indonesian jungle. So I did that for, for a period cool. of time. And then I felt that I wanted to pivot into something more fast paced. Um, and around 2014, sorry, 2017, that, that um, some of my old ECG colleagues who have joined Grab said that there's this Pretty cool taxi company that is looking to to reshape sort of the O2O space for me to join. So for those of you who might not have heard of Grab, Grab is essentially um, Uber equivalent of Southeast Asia. They are in today in ride hailing. They are in food delivery. They're in payments. They're in logistics. Um, they've actually bought out Uber in Southeast Asia um, a couple of years back. So I joined Grab in 2017. Back then, it was simply just a, a ride-hailing company. And then it was competing toe-to-toe with, with Uber in eight countries. Um, when I joined, it was sort of like, are we going to win Uber? Are we going to lose Uber? But, but it turned out really better. So I, I joined as a head of strategy in Thailand. When I joined, I really didn't expect the company to explode into what it is today, right? So when I joined, the, they were in Thailand, they were in probably three or four cities, um, had a, a taxi vertical. Um, so I worked on launching um, a lot of the business verticals within Grab Thailand. I worked with the different teams to launch Grab Food uh, in Thailand, the payments vertical, um, transport, of course, with the other senior leadership on the team to launch these, um, to, to make Grab one of I would say the biggest O2O companies um, across Southeast Asia, and I would say number one in the least verticals in Thailand. So that's something that I'm quite proud of. 
Um, in terms of how that sort of positioned me to join or start uh, Tiffin Labs, is as I was sort of supporting the, the grab food strategy in Thailand, um, there was this one anecdote that that really caught my attention on how food delivery has sort of reshaped the the restaurant and food service industry. So there was this um, small noodle stall um, at the corner um, uh, around the office, which uh, before food delivery was was doing quite well. Always had a full lunch and dinner crowd, but uh, sort of. Grab Food, Food Panda, which is the competitor for Grab Food in Thailand, um, and a few others started coming up and started investing in the market, um, investing in riders, drivers, consumers, um, and merchants. The, the demand exploded, right? And what I saw in that particular noodle store was that the demand was so high that they had to create a new sort of production line slash kitchen parallel to the dine-in service. And it got to a point where they, they're like, okay, this is already too much for me. Um, I'm already making enough money. I don't want to do this. It's too much strain because the, the owner is probably in their 50s, 60s. They're just happy with what they have and grabs it. Okay, but you're generating a lot of demand. How about this? I'll put in, I'll pay for a few people to help you in the kitchen. And then even after that, they're still like, okay, this is still too much. And they've decided to to sort of pause online delivery because the demand was so crazy for that. So so that was sort of my f first light bulb in my head that, hey, there's some big disruption going on um, in the food service space brought on by, um, by food delivery. And I think when I saw that, it was in 20, 2018. So the space was sort of just booming and still quite nascent in many regards. And that's sort of what ticked off my my interest in how this space would evolve, right? So in 2019, I, I bumped into some of my co-founders, uh, Kishin. So Kishin's background uh, is RB Capital. Uh, RB Capital is a diversified um, real estate company with global holdings based out of Singapore. Um, he is a CEO and founder. And he had the same sort of realization. Um, so within his real estate portfolio, he has um, close to 100 restaurants. And, and when he looked at the data, right, um, it, it went from almost nothing in food delivery and then it kept growing and growing and growing and growing. And then he came to a same realization that something will disrupt this space very soon, um, catalyzed by online food delivery. So me and him got together and we started sort of brainstorming towards the beginning of 2019 on, on how this space will shape out. Um, and, and during that same period, we met um, uh, two of the other co-founders, um, Sean. Um, Sean, before founding uh, Tiffin Labs with me, he was the head of shared kitchens for Food Panda across APAC. Um, so he was doing that for a short period of time, um, but the majority of his career was, I think he spent 20 to 30 years in the F&B and hospitality space and the more traditional side, hotels and restaurants. Um, so he ran for a significant uh, portion of his his career. He was a CEO of Fig and Olive, which was a, a restaurant chain um, uh, in New York, Washington, and that sort of tri-state area. Um, 
And so he comes with a lot of FMD experience. And he also saw that um, from a different geography in the US, the impact of food delivery on the more traditional business. And he saw it more from the lens of the economics of food delivery um, versus a traditional dining, and it's very different. Um, so therefore, you know, there, there is some arbitrage opportunity for a smart operators to come in and reconfigure how things are done, um, reconfigure how operations are done, and reconfigure the mentality behind how to structure things like um, menus, procurement, and supply chain. So, so Sean, coming from that background experience, the, the operation side of things. And the other co-founder is Sam, right? Um, Sam Ahmed, he comes from Facebook. Uh, he was a director of payments um, in APAC. And prior to that, he had experience at Starbucks and MasterCard. So he saw it more from the data lens, right? The traffic on Facebook, Instagram, what is it trending towards? And I think with between me, um, Sean, Kishin, Sam, we bring together very different angles. Me from the food delivery side, um, Kishin from the real estate side, um, Sam from uh, the social media side, uh, and finally Sean from the deep food and beverage operations side. It's We all landed on the same conclusion that, okay, there's a massive opportunity. How do we tackle it? And, and that's sort of the genesis of how we got together and decided to start Tiffin Labs. That's awesome. And and did you did you four of you know each other before, and or, or was it just like uh, different relationships that you introductions over time? The, 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 everyone was sort of friends of friends, um, and then we sort of somehow managed to get together and just started brainstorming and knocking ideas out um, to build the business model that that we have today. Yeah. That, that's amazing. And, and as you say, like the, the, the four, you really touch on the key components for, for a business like Tiffin Lab. So, so you've, you've, you've launched a few months ago, right? right? The first, the first dark kitchens, uh, the first brands. Tell us a little bit, like if you can share a little bit about the plans, you know, like how many brands so far, how many kitchens, what's, what's the, what does the next year look like? Sure. Um, so a, a lot of people, when, when I explain uh, that we're in the cloud kitchen space, they, they always, by default, think we're building physical kitchens and we're in the real estate business, um, which is wrong, right? Um, the way we would describe ourselves is a, a full stack, uh, virtual kitchen, cloud kitchen operator. And what we mean by that is we, we partner for the real estate. So we just announced um, exclusive access to a thousand kitchens globally across APAC, EU and the US. So on the real estate side, what we focus on is being smart about it, finding underutilized commercial kitchens and coming in with a win-win commercial agreement with the current owners, right? So we make an arbitrage on that. And then we go in and we operate. And when we say operate, it means we, we manage the labor. Um, we do the, the cooking ourselves and we manage the supply chain. So that's the operation side, which is the second stack. Um, the third stack is brand, menu, and concept development. And um, we also have that in-house. So currently, to, to your earlier question, Christian, we have uh, currently 10 restaurant brands. And, and the restaurant brands that create are, are all virtual brands. There's one that is sort of affiliated to 
one of the restaurants in Kishin's portfolio, Fabrico uh, Pasta Bar. Um, but then these 10 restaurants are, are a broad range of categories that uh, when we looked at some of the trends in, in Singapore, we know that um, these help fill the cuisine gaps in the certain uh, delivery catchment areas that we have. One and two is also trending in terms of um, demand, right? Because um, before we decide that we want to uh, create or launch a new brand, our data analytics team does spend a lot of effort in looking at different data sources to, to get to a 40, 50% recommendation on what categories we want to play in, right? And once we have those categories, we do go through a process of looking at the competitors um, and get to a qualitative assessment. Um, we do uh, testing um, on prototype products versus what the competitors are doing. We have a panel of 100 people who test the food, uh, both before and after we launch versus competitors, uh, so that we can always know the benchmark, right? In terms of pricing, in terms of taste, crispiness, aroma, packaging, all these metrics go into the process of um, both creating and refining the brands that we have. So that gets us to sort of 70, 80% certainty that, that the brands that we develop um, will be successful in the marketplace. So that's sort of the brand concept development uh, and R&D stack that we have. On top of that, right, there's just two more layers in, in the cloud kitchen space that we look at is um, e-commerce and the last mile logistics. So on the e-commerce side, uh, we, we partner with all the third-party uh, delivery players here in Singapore. So in Singapore, there's, there's GrabFood, there's Food Panda and Deliveroo. Um, we partner with all of them and they would manage the last mile logistics for us. So we partner with them for distribution and logistics. And that was a strategic decision for us because um, getting into, coming from Grab, um, getting into the logistic game of managing drivers, uh, making sure that they show up when the food is ready, they deliver, um, the food doesn't get spoiled on the way there, managing customer support on that and is a big effort and it's not something we want to focus our energy on. So on that front, um, we partner with um, the strategic players in the market. Amazing. That's 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 a really interesting. Uh, I love the bit, especially the the, the R and D. How much effort you guys put into that? Like that panel of a hundred people to like t test all that. Right. Just and and having that certainty before you reach the market. That's that's invaluable, right? right? Because uh, so many restaurants fail because you know they haven't tested that enough and and this that's a great way to get around that like really really impressed and and in terms of the the longer term so so you've said you've identified a network of a thousand uh, dark kitchens across the world um clearly you've started in singapore you're yep. looking to go global with this um is asia pacific where you're focusing first are you looking at the eu the us like what what's the kind of order you're you're thinking about here sure um so Singapore was sort of a, a great launch pad for us, right? Um, the, the Singapore government is uh, immensely supportive of new startups, both from a, from a network point of view and sort of supporting um, across the value chain. So we decided Singapore would be a great um, headquarters for us. And also um, the presence of um, RB Capital here means that there's a lot of assets we can 
leverage right off the bat. The way that we look at Singapore, Singapore has a population around 7 million people. So it's a great market, but that it's demand constraint. Um, and it's also an island. So in terms of coverage, um, it gets to a point where you start cannibalizing your different kitchens. Our plan is within Q4 this year, which we've just announced, is to, to launch in the U.S. and two or three markets cool. um, in the EU. Uh, London definitely is one of our launch markets with the EU. Uh, the reason why um, EU and U.S. and not not Southeast Asia is because um, within Southeast Asia, outside of Singapore, the economics become very difficult um, to operate in. For example, Indonesia, everyone talks about, it's a massive market, great opportunity, but the basket sizes are 70 to 80% smaller than what you might get in Singapore, and then maybe even more so when compared to the US or the EU. And if you look around Southeast Asia, the economics gets slightly better, but when you compare a benchmark versus the economics versus um, uh, European and U.S. markets, it's it's a very different ballgame in itself. And and because of the way we we structure our business, uh, we want to focus more on the high value markets rather than playing in the volume game. Uh, and that was a strategic decision for us to choose to go into the EU and the U.S. That makes a lot of sense. And and so, uh, to tell me a little bit like how how the uh, how COVID has has impacted uh, uh, you and the business. Like I, I'd love to hear. Like uh, I'm sure in in a lot, we're hearing well at least here that uh, you know del- there's been more deliveries. Obviously, yeah. people are stuck at home. Uh, that they're ordering more. Surely it must be putting the wind in your sails. But I would love to hear how 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 did you how did it impact you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um... And just to highlight, um, when we plan to launch all this, we, we didn't see COVID on the radar, right? And um, I, ironically, uh, COVID has been an immense tailwind um, for the food delivery industry in itself at the macro level. But for us, it's it's been great for customer acquisition. It's been great for, for sort of um, driving sales, especially during the lockdown period. Uh, when the alternative to to ordering in was dining out, which was not available, right? Um, so it's been great for us a- as a whole. And and one recent study that that caught my attention um, from Euromonitor was, which was released post COVID, was that um, 52% of global consumers felt comfortable ordering from a virtual restaurant with no physical outlet. So I think if you did that same study. Um, Without COVID in mind, I think that statistic would be very different from that fifty-two percent. Agreed. Yeah, that's that's incredible, right? Because there, there, uh, and that was actually going to be one of my questions: is there is an element of people trusting having a physical outlet, or, or saying, you know, I know this brand, you know, like I don't know, for, for example, Nando's. I know Nando's, and I trust yeah. them, and I order from them. Like creating this virtual brand. Like, are there things that you do to like uh, address that? Because fifty-two uh, percent is incredible yeah. already. Like, uh, and and that will keep rising. Is are there things you're thinking about to like address that point specifically? Yeah, uh, so so I think, of course, the, the, there is some initial challenge in terms of, okay, I've never heard of this, I've never seen this before, um, but then there's a couple of insights that, that we saw were, were quite interesting from other markets. If you look at the food delivery apps, it's sort of a, a virtual shopping mall, right? 
And one thing that we've noticed is that if I'm a consumer and I open, say, and I search for a public or pasta bar, which is one of our brands, um, and it shows just one location, um, or one branch, um, the trust level is sort of, mm, okay, maybe it's an SME chain, right? Um, but once we start having two, three, four, five incremental locations and it shows up, it, it does build a lot of credibility for the consumer and they, they start thinking, okay, maybe this is a, a proper chain or a franchise um, that, that has trusted. So I think it, it's, it's sort of from two approaches. Um, one, at the macro level, consumers are becoming more comfortable to uh, virtual brands similar to how uh, you know, consumers today will just buy anything online for, for non-food products, right? And we do expect that behavior to shift into food as well. Um, but then at the same time, food is not like a phone charger or a phone cover that because it's something you eat and you do care about the quality of ingredients, products, because it's going through your body. So that's why as part of a brand activation, um, we're starting to invest a lot into building the story behind the R&D, the ingredients, um, the culinary team behind it, and pushing this through uh, multiple media channels. And just to ensure that, you know, not only do you see there's one, two, three, four public or passive bars, but at the same time, there's recall that this brand is authentic. It's invested in the culinary aspect of the food. It's invested in the ingredients so that whatever I order, I know it's, it's something that I trust um, to put into my body. Yeah, big time. That authenticity is like is is the key here. Yeah, and I, I like the idea. Like having, as soon as they see it appearing four or five branches, they're like, okay, this is an established player. T -t totally makes sense. Yeah. I love that approach. Um, and and so uh, I think during the um during the the, the pandemic in in Singapore, um, you you guys arranged uh, to give out like a, a about thirty thousand meals, I think, yeah. uh, to 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 the population. Tell me a little bit about that. Like how 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 did you how did that happen? Who did you decide to help? I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Sure. So so a big part of our, our company value is giving back to the the community we operate in, right? And and I think despite the the perception that Singapore is a wealthy nation, you know, COVID has affected a lot of people. And then actually in Singapore, there's a lot of service workers who depend on industries like the hospitality industry, the food service industry, the tourism industry, were basically shut down for two months, right? A lot of these people, um, the, the, the way that they were being paid, it was, they weren't being paid a salary, they were being paid on a weekly basis. A lot of the grab drivers are paid on a per ride basis, right? There's definitely a big portion of the community affected. And we were thinking, how can we help them, right? And, and what we were good at is on the food creation and production side, right? So we decided to partner with this organization called Free Food for All, um, which is one of the leading um, organizations whose mandate is to ensure that um, those in need are able to access food, like food security as a core pillar of of um, helping people to stay on their feet, regardless of um, 
uh, of who they are, where they come from. Uh, and so we decided to partner with them to distribute meals to a lot of the people in their network, which which they validated to have have been affected uh, by COVID, um, and to just support them uh, through through this time. Amazing. That's incredible. Very, very generous, uh, especially as you were just starting up. It must have been like pretty, pretty hard to get that, uh, uh, to get that underway. Um, and and uh, so I know in, well, in the UK, the Deliveroo uh, during this pandemic, like on one hand, um, there was all this talk about them, you know, there's the wind behind in their sales because of um, obviously people at home and delivering in. But the problem they had was really on the supply side, right? right? So not having enough restaurants open to be able to, to to deliver yeah. uh, do you like uh, i suspect that again this helps you and 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 i'd like to to understand where you see the market going generally is uh, you know they they would embrace someone like you because suddenly you're bringing a lot of capacity under a lot of different brands to the market and 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 helping them on this supply side where where you know especially post covid with a lot of uh, restaurants unfortunately the smaller ones probably closing down like permanently um how, how do you see that come out of the post covid the relationship with with delivery and 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 what the restaurant space as a whole looks like sure i I'll answer this in a, in a couple of parts. I think at the macro level, the consumer adoption of food delivery, particularly um, uh, segments that traditionally either would have tried it once or would never have tried it, has been forced to adopt food delivery during this time. And I read somewhere that, you know, traditionally um, uh, generations above um, yeah, the millennial generation simply would not order, but then there's a research that came out in multiple markets that because of COVID, a lot of them embrace e-commerce, embrace um, food delivery. So, so that's one on the consumer lens. You have a bigger pool, more usual ordering. The second lens that we take uh, in the space is, as you mentioned, um, the reduction in supply of food content or restaurants that, you, that might see a dip initially, but I think over time we'll recover, but I do see that taking a few years to get back to where it was before COVID. So, so that's the two trends that we see. So to answer your point on how how the relationship or how the the food delivery and, and operators such as us would partner is, is I think it would become more integrated. Obviously, a lot of the food delivery operators, some have moved upstream into creating their own brand um, and operating some of their own brands. But but I still think um, with our capabilities more upstream into the value chain in terms of supply chain R&D, um, our ability to create new brands or our ability to operationalize and commercialize these new brands um, continue to be synergistic with the major food delivery platforms. So my personal opinion is that um, it's important for the food delivery platform to work with operators like us to curate the food content at the brand level, at the menu level, um, down to the pricing level, um, aligned to their data to, to not only optimize for the business, but also fill the needs of the consumers um, in different catchment areas. Yeah. 
Totally. Yeah. And and uh, w- what advice would you have for, for our listeners in the UK and the US um, in terms of how to think about the post-COVID world? So either if they're like a, a, a restaurant, so most of them will be restaurant brands, mm-hmm. um, you know, should they set up their own uh, dark kitchen? Should they be, you know, like w- what advice around this in particular from a, from a, a dark kitchen point of view w- would you have for them to do well in this post-COVID world? Sure. Um, I think what the restaurants already do well is in the operation side and the cooking, uh, anything on the kitchen, right? But one thing that we've noticed and one thing that uh, we've been helping some of the RB Capital restaurant portfolio is helping them with online sales and marketing. What we've seen a lot is um, when they think about getting onto the food delivery platforms, they're just going to think, I have this menu of, let's say it's 100 items, I'm going to put everything on there, right? So that's one. And as soon as you do that, the consumer gets lost and, okay, I can't even scroll half of this. Um, This is too confusing for me. The second thing that we've noticed is there's not a lot of thinking around taking the the e-commerce approach to looking at the full funnel marketing and performance marketing to optimize across that to drive uh, first-time customers, repeat customers, drive um, average order values from an e-commerce point of view is something that we don't see a lot. And the third thing is um, leveraging the the relationship um, with the food delivery platforms. So what I mean by that is, even though, of course, they charge high commissions in some markets um, and it eats into the profit margins, there are ways to make sure that the incentives are more aligned. Um, They do have a lot of marketing tools that can be leveraged on that is often not fully utilized. So that's what we did when we went to um, some of the restaurants that are, have been very focused on dining and, and food delivery has always been new to them. So menu design, having a smaller menu. Two is um, thinking about um, promotions, not only for the full store, but item specific and focus for online and three is leveraging the marketing tools provided by the platform. So, so one example is that, you know, when we, when we started um, helping one of the restaurants, they, even during COVID, they, they virtually had no sales, right? Uh, for online food delivery. And after we went in and helped them set up these three things, and also on their behalf, negotiate uh, the food delivery platforms and providing more support, visibility, etc. Their sales grew almost a thousand percent via online food delivery because of these three things. Uh, and during COVID, they were able to, to almost sort of um, they were thinking, okay, should I stay shut down or should I continue to open to basically becoming a full-fledged cloud kitchen? And being able to support the chef, the staff, and then the waiters were repurposed to do the the food packaging for delivery, right? So they were able to, Mm -hmm. because of this, able to continue to maintain operations during COVID. That's amazing. And, and on the I, I, those three points really resonate, especially the the first one on the too long a menu. Uh, I've seen that often. You know, right? they put everything. Yeah. You're just scrolling, yeah. scrolling, yeah. and say, "I'm just looking for one thing." Like, is there is there a magic number that you kind of like say, you know, put at most twenty items or most fifty? Like, you know, is there kind of a a guide there? I would 
I would say from from what I've seen, um, anything less than 20 is excessive. Anything below 15 starts to look a bit um, empty. Yeah. But so 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 you're saying ideally between 15 and 20 items. Correct. Correct. Yeah. 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 Okay. Interesting. And 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 uh, t- totally agree on. Th- th- I had um, I spoke on on a previous episode to um, uh, the founder of Jigger and Pony, who you know did the bar in in Singapore that was one best bars in twenty twenty, and he was saying that he totally had pivoted the his business from you know bar to like delivery and had educated himself on this whole e commerce yeah. like how to optimize think of the funnel and all that. But I think that's something if, you know. There are so many tools now, but for for someone who's not done that before, there's a lot. There's there, there's a big journey in terms of like educating themselves right. on how to do that, right? Yeah. But uh, clearly, huge, huge, uh, uh, huge benefits if you if you do that right. Yeah. right? Uh, to, 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 I like I like those three points a lot. Listen, it's been really fantastic speaking to you. I've got some quick fire questions to finish off the the, the, the interview sure. with. So I've, uh, I've got four questions. First thing that comes to mind, uh, would love to hear. So uh, I'll start off with favorite cuisine. What is your favorite cuisine? Um, I, I love Japanese food. Yeah. Japanese food. Yeah. yeah. Agre- agreed. Totally. Um, second one's second one's going to be an easy one for you. Eating or delivery? Delivery. I have to answer delivery. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be uh, that was an easy one. Um, if you could only choose one of three: starter, main, or dessert. Which one of those three would it be? Um, mains. Yeah, main good. And then finally, last meal on earth. What uh, what 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 meal would you have as the final meal? Um, a good dry aged tomahawk. I've not. I, I I don't know what that is. Tell tell me more. Um, tomahawk, but dry aged beef. Okay, nice. Okay, cool. Um, Dan, thank you so much for taking the time. I really, really appreciate it. Like really, lots of really insightful pieces there. Congrats on uh, on um, Tiffin Labs and like and, and navigating that through this crisis. It's incredible. Um, have a, a great day and uh, thanks again for being on the show. No, thank you, Christian. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you want even more insights and tips, you can head over to Tenzo's blog linked in the description or follow at Tenzo Inc on Twitter and LinkedIn and Tenzo PPL on Instagram. Hope you have a great day.